Welcome to today's discussion, Using Data to Fight Fraud in Government Programs, sponsored by Grant Thornton. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest is Linda Miller, the Fraud Risk Management Practice Lead for Grant Thornton. Linda, welcome to the discussion today. Thanks. Good to be here. Let me set a little context for our discussion. The improper payment rate across the government has been on a downward trend over the last decade. In 2017, agencies made an estimated $141 billion in improper payments out of the more than $2.5 trillion in outlays. That's a percentage of about 4.5%. Part of the push to lower the improper payments rate has come from Congress. Several bills have been enacted over the last decade plus. Let's see if you remember some of them. The Improper Payments Information Act of 2002, the Recovery Audit Act of 2002, which required agencies that awarded more than $500 million annually in contracts to establish programs to recover overpayments from contractors. Then in 2010, there was the Improper Payments Elimination and Recovery Act. Then in 2012, the Improper Payments Elimination Recovery Improvement Act. Then also in 2015, the Fraud Reduction and Data Analytics Act. That would require OMB to establish financial and administrative controls related to fraud and improper payments. Agencies have been required to include their annual financial reports, a discussion of the progress in implementing fraud risk guidance. Now, the last two administrations, plus now the Trump administration is focused on reducing improper payments, but not all improper payments are fraud. They can be as simple as someone typing an eight instead of a seven. They can be an underpayment to a citizen. Mistakes are likely to be improper payments as is someone who's trying to take advantage of the system. The issue of fraud, however, is a growing concern across the government and agencies haven't been as focused on it as they have been on, around improper payments. And, and fraud crosses more areas, not just payments, but in technology, acquisition, and the like. So how big of a problem is fraud in government? How agencies can get their arms around this challenge? Well, that's where our guest comes in. Once again, Linda Miller is the Fraud Risk Management Practice Lead for Grant Thornton. So Linda, I think we should start at the beginning and, and really define what is fraud in the government's in, in the commercial sense. Fraud is uh, not really seen as something that is an agency program manager's responsibility. If you go around and ask anybody in government, for the most part, about fraud, they'll tell you to talk to the inspector general. And when I spent 10 years at GAO, that was one of our big frustrations. We would go around and try to help identify fraud in programs, and most program managers were not thinking about fraud. So how big a problem is fraud? It's a big problem. However, nobody really knows how big a problem it is because fraud is deceptive in nature. So you don't know how much fraud you have. When I talk to agencies, they often tell me they don't have a lot of fraud. And what I usually tell them is, if you took all the police officers off the road, you wouldn't have a lot of speeding because you just don't know how much fraud you have if you're not looking for it, right? And so I think it's one of the challenges is getting agencies to realize that they have a fraud problem because they're not looking for it. And if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. Great analogy. Take the police officer's office, office and there's no crime. There's no there's no speeding. Let me back up for a sec. When, you, when we talk fraud now, I, I looked up GAO has a fraud hotline, and I found a report from 1988, which made me laugh a little because they were talking about their fraud hotline, which was back then was all telephone lines, and now I'm sure they have the internet reporting. But fraud can go across so many different areas. It can be, again, improper payments, but it also can be what else? How would yeah. you define it? Well, that's a great point. There's so much fraud in the government space that's not related to a payment. And that's why when I speak about fraud and improper payments, I really try to decouple them. If you think about the Homeland Security context, for example, corruption in the, among Border Patrol agents is a big problem. So if you pay off a border agent to get across the border, 
you know, that's like you've committed fraud, right? It's to get into the country illegally. There's cards that allow you to access secure areas of airports and ports. They're called transportation worker identification credentials. There was a big fraud scheme counterfeit TWIC card scheme ring that, that was uncovered a couple years ago. That, you know, being able to access a secure area of an airport or a port allows you to smuggle not just drugs, but also, you know, weapons. Um, it, so there's a, there are a lot of national security implications that fraud effects that I think a lot of agencies don't think about. And I think that's part of the problem that agencies think of fraud only in the improper payments context because there's been so much focus on improper payments over the last decade. And this idea that, well, I paid the wrong person or they billed me wrongly and therefore that's fraud. Why do you think that is so difficult for agencies to get their head around? Around whether that, or not the, what, what is fraud and what is not fraud and, and why improper payments is waste, fraud and abuse. But then there's this other piece of fraud as well. I'm going to say something that's not popular. I'm sure not popular among the oversight community of from which I came because I came from GAO. But I feel that this focus, you mentioned all those improper payments legislation, those bills that have been coming out in the last few years. Unfortunately, what they've been really forcing agencies to do is to think about estimating and reporting their improper payment rates. And while it's all fine and good to estimate and report your improper payment rates, if you're spending all your money and time estimating and reporting them, you're not spending the money and time to stop them. And that has been the focus. There's this sort of hyper focus on estimating what my rate is and then reporting it to Congress and GAO and OMB. And instead, not focusing on how do I make a payment? How do I stop making a, an improper payment before it's made? So we call that payment integrity. And that's really, in my opinion, where agencies ought to be spending their focus. So how can I use various types of maybe analytics or other types of uh, tools to identify a payment before it's made, understanding that it's probably improper and then not making that payment? Linda, you bring up data, data analytics, something we'll definitely get to later in the show. Before we get there, let, let me bring this up. This idea of fraud in government, you said agencies have been focused on payment integrity. They've been focused on this idea of estimating and then reporting. So do they not know how big of an issue fraud is or do they not care? What's the issue here with fraud? Let's be generous and say that they don't know. I think that's really true. I think in many cases, public servants, they want to help their constituents, right? They're really focused on getting benefits and services to their intended recipients, which is a really noble goal. I think sometimes what happens is that they lack a skepticism in believing that there's a possibility that the person or the entity that they're giving a payment to or a piece of something of value to is in fact the intended recipient. So a great example is the, the Department of Veterans Affairs. They are serving on, you know, probably one of our greatest national treasures, our nation's veterans. Unfortunately, what happens is they're so passionate about helping veterans that when someone calls in to get a benefit, the VA employee is very focused on trying to help them get more benefits. You know, oh, you might you might actually be you know, enable, you might be able to get this benefit or this service. Did you know about this program or that program? Which is great if you have, if you're talking to an actual veteran who is entitled to those services. If you're talking to someone who's posing as a veteran, who's a fraudster, now they're getting access to even more programs and more benefits. And so when we talk to them, we would say, we're doing this fraud work there. We said, well, uh, what happens, you know, in this situation? They'd say, well, the veteran calls and, and we'd say, well, how do you know it's the veteran? And there was just a pause, you know, nobody really, what do you mean? They said they're the veteran. Why wouldn't they be the veteran? You know, and so there's just this lack of skepticism that it might not be the veteran. Do you think it's also the fact that 
agencies don't talk about fraud very often. I mean, they talk about waste, fraud, and abuse, but how much focus is on fraud itself versus, hey, don't waste that dollar. Don't, hey, there's could be abuse if if you're an agency and you're spending money on you know conferences that you shouldn't be. If you remember that yep. that, that scandal from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's that? agencies and oversight people and and Congress spend too much time on the waste and abuse side versus the fraud side? Yes, I do. And I think that partly that's because there's this hang up around the definition of fraud. So often when I go out and speak on this topic, people say, well, how do you define fraud exactly? And they want to talk about that. I mean, the Social Security Administration, if you ask them, they'll tell you they have 1% of fraud. And they mean that that is the amount of fraud that has been identified, investigated and successfully prosecuted. Now, we can probably all guess that Social Security Administration has more than 1% of fraud. But if you define it so narrowly, then you get to say you don't have a lot of fraud. And so I do not get too focused on the notion of intent. Really, when you think about fraud, you're thinking about somebody purposely trying to defraud the government. And for purposes of the work I do, this is why I focus it on fraud risk, which is why GAO, when they put out the GAO fraud risk management framework, it was about managing your fraud risks. Very important to make sure agencies are aware that what we're trying to do is help them identify vulnerabilities and then figure out how those vulnerabilities could be exploited. And you want to close the vulnerabilities, you want to close the gaps. And that's really how, if you think about fraud in that way, as where are we at risk to fraud, rather than how to, where can we identify and prosecute a potential fraudster, you're going to be a lot more successful. So first of all, I have to say in covering this for the last 20 years, I don't think I've ever read or looked at the GAO fraud risk framework. So uh, I'm assuming it's not new. It's not something they just put out in the last three or four years. It came out in 2015. Okay, so it is. Okay, good. Maybe that's maybe I just missed it back then. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think that the part of it is is how much of that is not socialized. I mean, mm-hmm. here this is I'm not saying I'm the expert on fraud by any means, but you know, I live and breathe this federal government stuff and and it probably doesn't get enough attention. I think that's one issue. And then the other issue, and I think you bring up a great point around risk. There's all this talk about supply chain risk and enterprise risk management. I think fraud risk is another. So let's talk maybe the difference between fraud and fraud risk. Fraud risk, not unlike enterprise risk or any other risk that you mentioned, it's really just understanding whether you've got controls that are either weak or non-existent that could enable somebody to be able to circumvent or, you know, otherwise uh, get something they're not entitled to. So, you know, the whole notion of an internal control framework, not everyone's most exciting topic. You know, nobody really wants to talk about internal controls. But the fact is, that's the idea is you build out a framework that essentially makes sure that somebody can't get something they're not entitled to, you know, and that that's that's about waste, fraud and abuse, uh, internal controls, strong internal controls. But I think when you're thinking about risk, from 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 what we do is we we start by having people think about the universe of potential fraud risks that they may be vulnerable to. And you know if you think about this, like if they'd done this with the Bernie Madoff scandal, you know it, it, sometimes the fraud schemes can be so outlandish. I mean we read about them every day. You know you read in the news. Wait, someone did what? I mean I was reading not long ago that a, a high level, a high ranking official at ICE was taking the identities of some of these illegal um, immigrants that had come across the border and was using them to set up these fake bank accounts. And who would think that the guy was a general counsel at ICE? You know, these kinds of stories, you're like, well, no one's going to really, they're going to take the, the, and they're going to, you know. So when you, when you do these fraud risk brainstorming sessions, the beauty is that you sit around and you think, what if, what if, like, how crazy can we think? What if there's nothing in the box? 
that we're shipping? What if it's empty? You know, what if someone's what's what if someone in the in the in the um, warehouse is stealing all of our stuff and and shipping empty boxes? Well, that seems pretty unlikely. But what if it was happening? You know, what do we how do, how could we stop it? Would we know it? That kind of thing. So, the, the the brainstorming around risks are what I find to be the most rewarding aspect of this work because you really can uncover all kinds of things that you probably wouldn't have thought of. You're listening to Using Data to Fight Fraud in Government Programs, sponsored by Grant Thornton on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Status quo is a dangerous thing. It leads to atrophy in the living, rust in machines, and for companies, it's the number one killer of progress. Which is why at Grant Thornton, we do whatever it takes to move our clients forward. It's not status quo, it's status go. And it's an approach our clients deserve. We are Grant Thornton. Welcome to Status Go. Welcome back. You're listening to Using Data to Fight Fraud in Government Programs, sponsored by Grant Thornton on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Linda Miller, the Fraud Risk Management Practice Lead for Grant Thornton. Now, Linda, we spent the first half of the program setting the problem, really talking about fraud, fraud risk. We talked about why agencies really don't pay enough attention to fraud and maybe spend maybe a little too much attention on on reporting and estimating improper payments. So let's talk about what can they do beyond, uh, I think you started, ended last segment with a really interesting bit about understanding your fraud risk. So we understand our fraud risk, then what happens? How do we fight fraud? There are a couple of, you know, guidance documents out there that can help agencies think about how to manage their fraud risks, primarily the GAO fraud risk management framework that came out in 2015, which is available, you know, anywhere on GAO's website. You can Google fraud and GAO and find that. It provides some really good, uh, useful information on how to build a framework to manage your fraud risks. And that starts with a tone at the top, somebody that cares about fraud. GAO talks a lot about that. You, know, you need to have some sort of champion. You need to have a designated entity, somebody who's fairly high level. And then it talks about the importance of doing a fraud risk assessment. So I was talking earlier about these brainstorming sessions. That's sort of the beginning of a, of a fraud risk assessment. GAO believes, and I know that, that I firmly believe, as I've been doing this now for several years, that the best way to understand where you're vulnerable is to engage in some type of more dynamic fraud risk assessment. One of the things that always... I always find a little frustrating in the risk management space is you talk to someone, they say, oh, yeah, we did, we did, a, we did a risk assessment, did a fraud risk assessment. Well, what'd you do? Well, we developed a risk register. We wrote out all our risks and we set it out to various people across the agency. And we asked them to tell us on a scale of one to five, how likely are each of these risks and what would be the impact if they were to happen? And they filled them out and they sent them back to us and we put them on a heat map. If you want to see it, here it is. Here's our heat map. That's our risk assessment. Now, technically, you did a risk assessment, right? But how useful is that information? If you ask Susie and John and Tim and Paul to rank on a scale of one to five, a likelihood and impact of, say, for example, losing some personally identifiable information, as an example, maybe that's your risk. Your risk is PII being compromised. Well, that could happen in a number of ways, right? You could have a breach and you could lose you know, half a million social security numbers. That would be a pretty big impact. Or you could have some people leaving someone's social security number on the printer. That would not be a huge impact, right? 
So maybe John is thinking, gosh, we just got this new cyber firewall. I'm feeling really good about our cybersecurity. I think that risk is really low and the impact, though it would be high, it's, unli- it's unlikely to happen because of that. Whereas someone else is saying, God, you know, every day I'm finding PII all over this office. Nobody's, we have really bad policies that are protecting it. So the impact is low because that's one or two people's PII, social security numbers, but the likelihood is high. So if those, if that's how both of those two people are interpreting that risk, I'm going to get literally diametrically opposed responses. What do I do with that? So it's sitting on this heat map, but it's really not useful. So what I believe is agencies need to engage in some sort of dynamic, conversational, workshop-generated kind of risk assessment, where you sit around in a room and you do it by scenario. What would happen if somebody tried to call in and access the website and, and if they were trying to steal this information, set up a ghost employee and then change a bank account number and route all that person's money into my bank account, right? How likely could that be? How likely is that? And what do we have in place to stop that? Those kinds of risk assessment discussions are a lot more fruitful than asking people to fill out likelihood and impact questionnaires. You made a comment about uh, you need a champion, and, and it's got to start at the high level. So, yes, a deputy secretary or some sort of assistant secretary of management maybe would have to say, yes, I want this done. Where does that champion sit? Because I think you made a very interesting point early on about usually if people think of fraud, it's an IG issue. So w- would that fraud person sit in the program office? Would that person who focused on fraud sit in the IG office? Where would you suggest? Well, definitely not in the IG's office. Because this whole focus is on program management. IG needs to come in and tell you whether you're doing it right. In fact, you know, I'd love it if IGs were doing more assessing agencies to see how well they've done this, how well they're implementing a fraud risk management approach. That's the IG's responsibility is to come in and and sort of grade them, as it were. It's in the program management office, but a great question is where, because the GAO fraud risk management framework is in OMB Circular A123, which is aimed at the CFO, the chief financial officer. So, So a lot of agencies are using are putting it in the CFO shop. But as we were discussing earlier, a lot of fraud is non-financial. And if you're only thinking about fraud from the sort of payment standpoint, you're missing a lot of operational level fraud that you could be exposed to. So the CFO shop may or may not be the right place. You know, GAO did try to implement the, the fraud framework at GAO because GAO likes to sort of walk the walk. Drink their own champagne. Drink their own <laughs> champagne, as it were. So they, they implemented it. Now, GAO is an agency with a 90% payroll budget. of that budget goes out the door, and that's usually like IT contractors, right? Not making benefits, you know, no money's going out. So most of the fraud that occurs at GAO is going to be in employee-related fraud, internal fraud. So it's going to be in the payroll, it's going to be in time and attendance, it's going to be in travel and purchase cards, student loan repayment, all these sort of benefit programs that are internally focused. So it would make sense at GAO for the CAO, the chief administrative officer, to be in charge of fraud risk. Because the fraud risks fall under that person's purview. Now, that's not going to be true for the Social Security Administration or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So it's not who and where it sits is less important than that the person has the level of authority uh, and, and gravitas to be able to carry out these activities. So an agency does their risk assessment. They decide to put a risk owner, if you will, someone who is a champion, whether it's in the CFO's office or somewhere else, they figure that out. What can they do next? We're Now let's talk data, t- talk analytics. Where does that fit in? Yeah, let's talk about data. That's the title of the show, right? So there's so much data now. It's amazing how much data is available. I mean, everywhere, not just in the government. And I think I read somewhere that most agencies are, are tapping into something like 
98% of the data that they have available to them to use. And that's just, that's a typical learning curve for government. I mean, let's be, I can beat up on government because I'm there myself and have been, but you know, there's a lot of opportunities to use data to identify fraud. And one of the challenges that agencies, well, there's a number of challenges and we don't have a ton of time because I could keep going on the challenges. One of the challenges is, is data sharing, right? So it's privacy issues, the Privacy Act, the Computer Matching Act have limited agencies' ability to share data. So I remember being at GAO and when I started to work at fraud, fraud work, and we were looking at uh, a labor program on unemployment insurance. And we were looking at the extent that there was fraud in this program. And we went and talked to them and we said, but you, so why don't you verify when somebody is, is applying for a benefit, why don't you verify whether or not they are, you know, they have this disability before they're able to get that? Well, they can't get the data from Social Security Administration. And I mean, I was still new to the area. I was like, what do you mean? You're both government agencies. You need this information. And they're like, oh, we've tried. We've been building a legislative you know, proposal to try to get access to that data for like five years. This boggled my mind. It continues to boggle my mind. But until the government can get around these privacy issues, you have these insane situations where one government program has to take your word for it because they literally can't check. And I think most people don't know that. I've talked to friends and family members that are like, but if I apply for this, they're going to know that I already have a job. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> You'd think they would because it's all the government, but they don't. And that's a big, big, big barrier, I think, right now to using data to find fraud. So one of the things that, that we're seeing, as you said, the agencies aren't using the data, but they're having so much data. There's a velocity problem. There's a volume problem. Yep. How to deal with that? What are some of those tools that are out there to say, hey, what kind of data you should look at and then how to make sense of the data? I mean, that's true. I think, you know, we talk about like the, the noise that you get. There's So within the data space, there's it can be overwhelming, right? You can sort of like low fidelity data because you've got so much, you don't know what to do with it. You can have unreliable data. So you don't even know if the data you're using is reliable because you're not necessarily collecting all the data in the right format. One of the things we do a lot when we work with data with clients is we spend a ton of time just sort of improving the reliability of the data or clean, quote, quote, cleaning the data, which can take a lot of time. But assuming you've got a data, a, a set of data that is relatively reliable and you can access it, the, the key is developing some use cases around fraud. So, you know, for example, um, travel and purchase card is a really low hanging fruit kind of thing. You get the data from the bank, so it's pretty reliable, right? So you've got purchase cards and how hard is it to build up some visualizations that at least tell you, I want to look at how many people use their purchase card on Christmas Day. I want to look at how many people have, you know, 13 travel cards, which before you were able to visualize the data, you may not have been able to find that. But now it's really easy to sort of pick those, pick those examples out. That's a really simple, basic sort of data visualization. And one of the things I always tell people when they talk about data, because I think it's scary. I think people think about data analytics. They think it's big. They think it's overwhelming. They think it's going to be expensive. They think, wow, I don't have a budget for that. Data analytics, yeah, don't have a budget for that. And I always tell agencies, if you've got a guy who's pretty good with pivot tables in Excel, you can do some more analytics than you realize. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with very low-tech solutions. You don't need to go out and get some $10 million data analytics solution from some big vendor. You know, you can do a lot with... More and more, you know, people that are coming into government have some of these skills, tap into the skills of the people that you have, tap into the tools you have, and start to look for trends. Linda, unfortunately, we're, we're just about out of time. Before I let you go, where should agencies start, right? From your recommendations, from your experience, where should agencies uh, really how to ramp this up? One thing is Treasury and OMB jointly are about to issue this anti-fraud playbook for government. 
and that should be coming out in early September. I think that it's going to have a ton of great advice for how to start. There's a lot of really practical guidance in there that says things like, how do I find a designated entity? Who do I pick? How do I think about fraud in my agency? How do I start building fraud awareness? So there's a lot of start, if you're starting from zero, or you're starting from somewhere further along the path, you can kind of find some useful guidance in that anti-fraud playbook. Excellent advice, and good. we'll look forward to uh, reading that. I know uh, Grant Thornton played a role in that as well. Uh, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Using Data to Fight Fraud in Government Programs, sponsored by Grant Thornton on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. Let me thank my guest, Linda Miller, the Fraud Risk Management Practice Lead for Grant Thornton. Linda, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Data Chaos. Listen to the entire discussion using data to fight fraud and government programs sponsored by Grant Thornton at federalnewsradio.com.